everyone doing? Everyone good? So good to be back. Kristen and I last Sunday, we were away and it was awesome. We had a night um, up, up in Richmond and uh, you don't realize how much you need time uh, away until you do it. And you're like, that was really awesome. We should do that like quarterly or we should do that more often than we actually do it. It, it was just awesome. But, but I heard so many good things about Pastor Justin's message from last Sunday, and it's just awesome knowing that I don't have to be here uh, for things to go well, because we have got a, an absolutely amazing dream team. Can we just give it a one more time for all of our dream team members to make Sundays happen, small group leaders? Uh, we are just blessed within with an incredible team of volunteers, man, that wants to help people experience life change through Christ. And so, and, and so, man, we, and so, man, we are just extremely grateful and thankful for them. Also, to one more time, can we give it up for all of our first-time guests that are with us today? We want to welcome My name is John Ware, the pastor here, um, and we are just honored and, and and excited that you are with us today. We are finishing up our Love Songs series. And so we will be doing that today. And next week, we, we, are, we are going to be having our first ever Vision Sunday. So next Sunday, Vision Sunday, we have an incredible and, and incredibly exciting announcement that, that we are going to be sharing next Sunday. The Dream Team will actually be hearing it tonight because we have an all-Dream Team gathering. Uh, but so next Sunday, man, we are we're going to look back on on what God did in, in 2017 and the four and in the four months since we launched on September 17th, and we're going to be looking forward to what we want to see God do in 2018. And uh, so we are just pumped. So please make sure that you guys are with us next Sunday for our first ever annual Vision Sunday. Got it. Also, to right after service today, Life Track Step Three. We have a three-step process to to get you plugged in here at Lifehouse. You can join join in on those steps anytime. So we've got Step Three today, right after service, lunch, and childcare is provided. I'll be teaching that. We would 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 love for you to come in, jump in, and hear about Lifehouse and get plugged in into what God is doing here. So our friend uh, Alicia Keys. The great theologian, Alicia Keys, said some pretty awesome words for us there, saying them. She said, I keep on falling in and out of love. With you. Sometimes I love you. Sometimes you make me blue. Sometimes I feel good, and at times I feel used. Loving you, darling, makes me so Confused. Doesn't it sometimes feel like love is something that you fall into? I mean, do you remember going, just go back. Go back to whenever you were falling in love. Go back to, to that time. I, I, honestly, this past weekend felt like Kristen and I were falling in love. Maybe because we didn't have kids. It was a kid-free weekend. And so it was just awesome not having kids. Like, we could actually wake up and like not have chocolate milk on the bed or not have cookies on the bed like it was it was just a nice morning wake up and it felt like we were going back but like what takes you back what song takes you back to that time period whenever you were falling in love because i know this um 
that, uh, that, that falling in love's awesome, but, but at the same, same, same time, if you fall in love, that also means that you'll probably fall out of love. And you will fall in love. Most, most of you here will, because stats show us that 9 out of 10 people statistically will, will, get, will get married. For some of you, that's hope. Okay? For some of you, you're like, the odds are for you. If you're single here, and you're, and you're like, man, I'm saying, well, what in the world is going on? Just know statistically, 9 out of 10. If you're a stats person, stats are in your favor. Okay, 9 out of 10 of you will fall in love and get married, right? Uh, so, if you are single here, raise your hand. So now you know who to talk to after service. Okay, all, all of the single folk here, keep the, just keep an eye out, keep your hands up. You never know. You might be able to take some, some you know, you could take some of these principles taught to today and, and just put them into practice right after service, okay? I'm just saying, you just never know what God could possibly do. What better place to meet someone than at church, okay? So, yeah, yes, 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 yes. So look, falling in love is something that our culture tells us happens. Nine out of ten of you statistically will get married. Um, the only thing is, though, is that if you fall in love, our culture says, typically people fall out of love. Statistically, this happens 50% of the time because we've got a 50% divorce rate in this country. The 50% of couples statistically will get divorced. And I'm pretty sure if you, you, that probably all of us here have seen or been apart closely or maybe from a, a distance of divorce and the, the, the pain that it causes, the hurt that it causes, the guilt that it causes, the shame that it causes, the fatherlessness that it causes. And, and so many other things that it, it causes so much pain and hurt. And so we've got this, this thing of people falling in love and people falling out of love. Uh, Kristen and I, uh, we will be actually coming up on 10 years here of marriage in, on July 5th. Um, so we have somehow made it 10 years. Uh, and I don't know if I was really ready for how hard marriage was. Let's be real with you. Because marriage is something that you can only, like, people can tell you about it all day. They can give you advice. You can read The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. You can, you can read all the books you want to on marriage. But I don't think anything really prepares you for it except going in there and actually living it. No matter how perfect you think this person is or how great that person is. Like, it, it's hard. Like, I think we have to stop, stop teaching and preaching that marriage is going to be easier even with God. Because here's the thing, if you got God or what are you doing about God, marriage is hard. Right? you got two imperfect people trying to come together to make something work. And it is hard work. I call it a beautiful mess. <laughs> marriage, to me, is a beautiful mess because you've got messy people trying to come together and make something beautiful. Here's the deal. It's not if you're marriage struggles, but when your marriage struggles. And here's the thing. I know this. The worst place to actually admit that you are struggling, especially in your marriage, is unfortunately church. Because um, it's not a real looked great upon thing for you to go to someone. I don't care how Christian you are, saved you are, leadership in the church, and go to someone and say, my marriage is struggling. Um, and unfortunately, the church hasn't been a real safe place for that for many, 
many years. So what do we end up doing? We end up doing the dad bod at, at the beach thing. Where if you have a dad bod, okay, you know, which, which, let me break that down for you, is whenever you have kids, guys especially, we tend to just forget working out, eat whatever the kids are eating. So we're eating chicken nuggets and fries and macaroni and cheese and all of this stuff. We're just trying to eat and keep ourselves living. And what ends up happening, we end up gaining, gaining weight, but whenever we go to the, to the beach, we don't want to see every, or you know, we don't want to show everyone that we put on a few pounds. So what do we do? We take our shirts off and we go like this. <laughs> and you're walking around like this and you can't breathe, but your chest is out. It's beyond your stomach, so you feel good. And you just kind of put it out and you're kind of walking around and, and, and it's like you got the dad bod, but you don't want to show that you got the dad bod. So you're putting this, putting this front up. And whenever you put your shirt back on, then you're like... <sighs> You let it all out because you've because you've got the the covering back on. And so many people walk into church. How you doing? Oh, I'm good, brother. Blessed and highly favored. I'm the head, not the tail. Before and not beneath. And we throw on this church language. We throw on this church language to basically keep the image good. When you know deep in your heart and deep in your home, your marriage is falling apart. You won't admit it. You won't say it. You'll come to church and put the language on. But you know deep down things are not good. Once you let you know, at, at this church, you don't have to fake like you are okay. There's going to be no judgment here. You are safe to struggle here. I'm going to be the first one to let you know I struggle. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to be like, I've got all this stuff going on. But at the same time, there are going to be things that I'm going to actually say. Like, oh, my God, can we pastor would say that for the pulpit? And the worst thing that, that you could possibly do is, is, is say, well, Pastor John does it, so I'm going to do it now. And use it as license. That is the dumbest thing. Here, here's the thing. Healing only comes whenever you're vulnerable. You've got to put the guard down. You've got to take the shields down to let God get in. Because so many of us, we keep barriers and walls up and we let the person that can actually heal us, we keep him out because we don't want to be vulnerable. Vulnerability has to start with me. Because here's the thing. If I'm not vulnerable, you're not going to be vulnerable. If I share my struggles, prayerfully you will share your struggles. Hopefully you you will know that in this place you are safe to struggle, but but also know this, we're going to give you truth. Because truth might hurt, right? The truth will set you free, but it'll hurt you first. The truth will set you free, but it sucks starting off. Because it hurts, because typically the truth hurts, but it is the truth that also heals us. So I want to let you know you're safe to struggle here. You don't have to throw up this dad bod front. We're not going to judge you. We want to come alongside of you and help you become all that God has called you to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, really, I see three stages in marriage. The first stage is this, the honeymoon stage. Your differences are awesome. She is so spontaneous. <laughs> she is so spontaneous, and I just love the fact I am a homebody. I love how she gets me and takes me out and gets me out of my comfort zone. It's so cool. 
C is a spender and I'm a saver. So awesome. We balance each other out so well. So cool. Isn't it cool how God put differences together? Right? Introvert. I am extroverted and he's an introvert. I just love the balance. It's so great. The honeymoon stage. Your differences are looked at as being good. But then you got the disillusionment stage. Which is now your differences are looked at as being negatives. I can't believe she never wants to go out. Always wants to be at home. Let's get some adventure going up in here. You know, and what ends up happening to this honeymoon, this perfect person that you had, actually now ends up being someone that you see as not being on your same side, as like, I thought this person was perfect, I thought this person was awesome, but now you're in this place of disillusionment, and we all hit it. I don't care if it's six months in, eight months in, two years in, three years in, four years in, five years in, whatever. You are going to hit that point where you're like, who in the world is this person that I married? Because I don't even recognize him or her. Now, so once you hit those two stages, then you hit the decision stage. You hit the decision stage. Where then it's like, okay, are we going to see this thing through? Are we going to commit or are we going to divorce? Are we going to fall in love and then fall out of love? Is love always going to be something that we've got to feel? Is love always going to just be something that, that comes and goes? Or could it possibly be we need to stop living by, by feelings and start living by principles? Because there's a huge difference. If you live by, by what you feel, you're going to be a stinking roller coaster. Because feelings come and feelings go. And if you want a God-honoring covenant marriage, you cannot think that that will happen by falling in love and falling, and falling out of love and going by what you feel. Because it doesn't work that way. So whenever you hit this point, this decision stage, and maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're in this honeymoon stage, and I can spot those. Jordan and, and Megan. I don't know where they are. They're the cutest couple you'll ever see, man. They, they come to our small group, and they're all over each other. It's sickening. Uh, it is, I mean, you can tell, man. They, like, sincerely, seriously, like, just, I mean, I don't know how long they've been together for, but they're just the cutest couple. I mean, they love each other, man. Like, this is cute, right? But so it's like, I don't know what stage that you are in. Maybe you're in that that good old honeymoon stage. Maybe you're in that disillusionment stage where you're like, uh, this person is kind of different from what I kind of thought, but now you're in that decision stage where you're like, am I really going to stick this thing out or am I going to say bump it? Okay? So I don't know where you're at today, but regardless of where you're at, you might even say, I'm single. Put this sermon in your pocket. <laughs> but I don't care if you're single, whatever you are right Right now, statistically, you're probably going to get into a relationship and you're probably going to end up doing something of, of getting, you know, so hey, put this sermon. I said, well, I'm not married. How's this sermon apply to me? Put it in your pocket. It will one day. You're welcome. <laughs> the truth is, is this. Typically, we focus on so many symptomatic issues. Sex. Communication. Money. And we think, if we just fix those issues, then we'll be good. But dealing with, with symptoms and not dealing with the actual root only deals with the problem for a short 
amount of time. Think about this, dandelions. Anyone ever had dandelions? You know, if you tap dandelions, they will pop up and pop up and pop up, and you can literally go and pull every single dandelion out by hand personally, and you can keep on doing it and keep on doing it. But here's the thing. Unless you dig down in the, the, the ground 18 inches under and get that root, that dandelion is going to keep on growing up. And so many of us, we got issues that we've been dealing with and dealing with and dealing with and dealing with that you keep pulling up the symptom whenever you haven't dug down and got to the actual root of why this problem keeps on popping up. So look, we're not going to deal today with a bunch of symptomatic issues, sex, communication, stuff like that. We're going to hit dead on into how you ultimately, in your heart, mind, and soul, view marriage. And you're going to view marriage one of two ways. Ready? You're going to view it as a contract or as a covenant. As a contract or a covenant. And how you view marriage, in how you sincerely in the depth of your soul view this relationship helps deal with every other symptomatic issue that marriage presents. Because it's how you ultimately see it. It is your perspective about marriage. You're going to see it as a contract or a covenant. A contract is an agreement that states what each side is going to do to make things work. It's going to have stipulations, penalties, and ways to get out if things don't go right. We live in a contract culture. It's not a bad thing. In, in, in a sinful culture, a sinful nature, people want to, you know, rip you off, take your money, sue you, and things like that. There's, there's certain things that you've got to do with contracts. You've got to have them. If you want cell phone service, typically you have to go through and sign a contract. Verizon, Sprint, I, th I think, what's the other one? Talk, uh... Uh, free talk or whatever it's, it's called. They don't require you, right? But, this, but at the same time, if you're going to buy a house, you're going to sign a contract. Baseball players and basketball players and football players, if they're going to sign a contract, that basically tells them this is what the team is going to do for them and this is what they're going to do for the actual team. Contracts are not bad in business, but they're a terrible idea for marriage. A covenant, on the other hand, goes a lot deeper than just saying this side is going to do that, this side is going to do that. A covenant is a commitment where one party declares that they give themselves fully to the other, holding nothing back regardless of what the other person does or does not do, even to the point of death. And the other individual responds with the same commitment. A covenant is based on selfless, sacrificial love when someone is willing to give their life completely in serving and caring for the other, expecting nothing in return. That's why when at a wedding you have your vows. And some of you said these. Do you promise to love and to cherish, to have and to hold, and do you promise forsaking all others to cleave to each other and to them alone? For as long as you both shall live, if you do, please respond by saying, I do. Marriage in God's eyes requires a that it, it requires a covenant. And God views marriage not as a contract, but as a, a covenant. He views it as being, as being something else than just than, than just than, than just having a certificate that says you are married. Now, if you actually look at the the Old Testament word for covenant, the root of the of that word actually means this to cut actually means to cut, meaning this, that there is going to be some sort of blood shed, there's going to be some sort of dying, there's going to be pain, and things like that involved in a covenant. Basically meaning this, that there is going to be some sort of sacrifice in order to make the covenant 
work. Scripture is littered and built upon covenants that God made with people, ultimately fulfilled in the biggest covenant of all, and that is Jesus Christ with us. And if you think about our relationship with Jesus Christ, the covenant is built on the shed blood of who? Jesus Christ. There was a sacrifice that had to be made. Someone had to actually initiate and start the covenant for it to actually work. And Jesus said this, I will start it and, and begin it, and this covenant will then be built on my blood. He was cut so the covenant could work between us and God. We cannot expect a marriage covenant to be any different. There's going to have to be a level of sacrifice and cutting that basically says this. Part of you is going to have to die to make this relationship work. Because it cannot just be me, 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 my, my, my. A covenant relationship does not work like that. A contract is signed in pen. A covenant is signed in blood. And I'm not going to get all, all biological. I'm going, to, I'm going to try to say a little bit with you using your mind here. Because I don't want to be crass. Some of y'all probably know where I'm going with this. God designed marriage. The culminating experience in, in, in marriage should be sex. And whenever a woman, the first time, I'm not trying to be crass, I'm just trying to give you God's style here, God's, God's ultimate viewpoint here. There is some sort of blood that, con, that, that, convene, that, that kind of brings together the covenant that you are personally making with this person. That is why God values sex so much. People turn it upside down in this culture. It, it's like sex is the most important thing in any relationship. It typically always comes first before there is any commitment. And God says, no wonder people are so messed up and jacked up spiritually and psychologically and, and emotionally because we've jacked up God's idea and way of doing things. He says, sex is not just something that you just, that is some sort of toy, that is just sort of just fun thing that you do. It is a sacred act that is done, that is a physical, symbolic way of showing what what happens when two people that commit to each other are in covenant? Thank you for not, you know, but you get the point. A covenant is signed in blood. A contract is signed in pen. A contract marriage is between two people. A covenant marriage is between three people. A contract marriage is between you and the other person. A covenant marriage is built on you, the other person, and God. The first marriage overall was, was basically done by God. God brought the man to the woman, the, the woman to the man. And he said, no, bone to my bone, flesh to my flesh. Leave and cleave. A contract is between two. A covenant is between three. Weddings are not just a place to get smashed before you get married. Weddings are a sacred and holy act where two people come before not just the pastor preacher, but they come before God and they don't sign a contract. They make a covenant in the presence of God in the sacred and holy place and say, I'm committing my life to this person. 
A contract is between two, a covenant is between three. A contract marriage is all about your benefit. And we've got a culture that is consumed about people just trying to find the best contract. Who will let me live with them? Who will let me live rent free? Who looks the best? Who will benefit me? Who will sleep with me without actually letting me make any commitment? Who will give me the best deal? That's a great thing if you're going to buy a car. It's a terrible idea if you're trying to go into, into a relationship and actually make it work. We just try to find what benefits us. Don't focus on finding the, the right person. Focus on being the right person. It's not just about your benefit. A contract says, how can I get, 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 get? It's all about individual pleasure. A covenant marriage says, no, it's about our benefit. It's not just about what's best for me. It's about what's best for we. Amen. And statistically, marriage, marriage uh, specialists, marriage smart people, I don't know what's called, marriage, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Counselors, ther ther therapists, people that work with people that are in marriages. The statistics say this. It takes nine years for, a, for a, a couple to begin thinking in the context of me to we. Nine years. I'm on ten years. I'm in year nine right now. That's true. Amen. <laughs> it's so true. And some of you might be in that phase where you have to stop thinking... What is it just going to be, how is it not going to benefit me, but how is it going to benefit we? Also, though, this, this does not ring true if you are in a very abusive relationship. If you are in one now and you are being physically abused, verbally abused, psychologically abused, like you are in a place now where, where you feel like you are in torment, run, get help. Get out. Amen. The covenant's broken. You are not called to stay in an abusive relationship just for the sake of covenant. You get out, you get help, you find the help that you need, and you see if you could possibly reconcile. But if someone is causing you harm, if somebody is purposely abusing you, get help. If it's to the cops, go to the cops. If it's to the, to the church, come find us. We want... No, you need to get help. You, you, you need to get out. We are not saying stay in an abusive relationship just, just for the sake of looking good on the outside or keeping covenant. Because if, if they are abusing you, they've broken the covenant and there needs to be some repair. <coughs> Amen? Amen? A contract marriage is built on performance. You kind of got a job description for them. In your head, and if they meet that job description, it's all good. So you kind of got this like this running list in your brain. You kind of got this job description for them. If they do it, it's all good. If if they don't, you punish them. A covenant marriage is built on love, and First Corinthians thirteen says this: Love keeps no what record of wrongs. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you don't list them. Okay? It doesn't mean be, because, because you can't forgive what you don't name. You can't forgive what you don't name. Here's the deal. You can keep a list. Make one. 
but then get rid of it. Talk with that person. Talk it, talk it through. If there's problems, issues, name them and talk about them. But don't keep them. Because if you do, you will use that list as, as a battering ram, as, as kind of, you know, in fights and stuff like that, saying, hey, I've got this list against you consistently. Do this, 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 this. And you will use it against them instead of, of using it to bring wholeness and healing. A covenant marriage is built on love. A contract marriage focuses on you winning. It's all, it's, it's all about the deal. You winning. You want to win the argument, get the best deal. You do what you got to do. You scheme, you lie, manipulate. The whole point is winning. And a covenant marriage focuses on God winning. The point isn't for you or your spouse to win, but for God to win by you obeying what God requires. This idea of covenant marriage, man, we could go further into it, but here's the deal. I think any of us would probably look at this and be like, how in God's holy name am I going to have a covenant marriage? This is, like, extremely difficult. I want to let you know the only way it is sincerely possible to have covenant marriage with each other is to have a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Before this works, you've got to make this work. The best thing that you could ever do for, for your relationship with your wife is to work on your relationship with God. And to follow him. Because it is the covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ that helps us to have a covenant relationship with imperfect people. A covenant relationship with a perfect God helps us to have a covenant relationship with somebody that's very imperfect. I mean, just imagine if Jesus came to us with, con with a contract. I actually made one. <laughs> you know, just imagine Jesus, right? You know, he's like setting up meetings. You know, and he's just, you know, walking in the crowd. He's like, hey, we got a 9 o'clock appointment, Jason. You ready, man? Hey, man, how's, how's it going? I'm Jesus, brother. Pleasure to meet you, man. Pleasure to meet you. I see what you did last summer. But, hey, it's all good, man. We can, you know, still uh, talk. Anyway, though, man, hey, wanted to talk to you about this, about this contract here that I know you want to go to heaven. I know you want me to love you. I know you want to be in a relationship with me, and, and that's all good and great, okay? But there's going to be a contract that you're going to have to actually sign for this to actually happen. Okay, there you go. So you just want to read through those, stip you want to read through those stipulations. Um, here you go. You can have a contract too, sir. Uh, you have to think about that and pray about that. I'm listening. You know, it's like, all right, here we go. Here's a contract here. Sign contract. Here. Just, just, just take one, pass it, pass it down. You know, so he's got some contracts here. You know, just, 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 Hey, just, just kind of look this over, check it out, get the contract in. And I mean, what if God seriously dealt with us on the basis of contracts? And he just kind of said, here, look this over. If you want this to work, you better follow that to a T. And if you don't, it's over. Just imagine... If God dealt with us like a contract. But we know God doesn't deal with us that way. And if we're not going to deal with our, our spouse that way, we've got to know that we are in a covenant relationship with God first. And it's this covenant relationship with him that helps us to then have a covenant relationship horizontally. But we've got to work on the vertical. We cannot expect to have the supernatural power that we need to forgive, to love, to respect, to, to honor, and serve 
our spouse without knowing this is what Jesus does for us. Amen. I mean, I feel like a broken record saying that. Like, I can honestly say, without Jesus, I, I'd be a bad word. Because <laughs> I know me, man. I'm selfish. I want to be all about me. In every way. He's going to hell, get out. I'm <laughs> like, I know me, man. I know who I am without a covenant relationship with God through Jesus. I'm selfish. It's all about me. But it is the grace and love and forgiveness that I am given through Christ when I don't deserve it that helps me give it when someone else doesn't deserve it. And I know we want to get, you know, tactics and how can we have better strategies to love our spouse. Let me give you the best one. Fall more in love with Jesus and see how terrible you are. Amen. So then you can have the grace to love and forgive someone that you think is so terrible. Your marriage is struggling. That's how God feels with you. Love you. Welcome to Lifehouse. If this is your first time, welcome. We really do love you. We really do. Welcome. It's your first time here. Welcome. We really love you. God loves you. Lifehouse loves you. Okay, let's let's go home. Now, and I mean, the point of this is, though, it's God's covenant with us. When you didn't deserve it, when we all turned our backs on him, he said, I'm not going to give you a contract. He said, I'm going to give you my life. And he said, I'm going to live, I'm going to come and live the life that you could not live and die the death that you deserve to die in your place and for your sin. And I'm going to rise and, and defeat Satan, sin, and death by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to rise again and rule and reign. And the same spirit that lived in me is going to live in you. And it's going to empower you to do what you can't do on your own. And that is love unlovable people. That is forgive unforgivable people. That is serve unservable people. Think about this. Jesus was on the cross being brutal, being brutally tortured and crucified. And the same Holy Spirit that lived in him enabled him to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That same spirit that lived in him if you follow Christ and you desire it, we'll live in you. And you'll, by God's grace, be able to forgive and love unlovable people. Because here's the deal. A lot of things we struggle with in, in marriage are little issues. The Song of Solomon says this. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines. It's the little things that always come in and try to snip at them. You know, and I mean, typically it's, you know, here's, here, here's, a, here's the thing. Maybe you got big issues, uh, adultery, abuse, and things like that. And those are completely... Different. Those are things you need to seek help on and get help and not try to have the dad bod thing, but go and seek help on. But then let's just be honest, a lot of the things that we do are just little selfish things that you want. That are they're just kind of little, and, and they're just trying to steal the joy and love that God has called you to have in a covenant relationship with him. You know, one of the biggest things, I always say this, that a covenant relationship with God deals with, Whenever I do a, a, a wedding ceremony, first off, it's the longest ceremony that anyone's ever, ever had because I stutter. And I, and I tell them that. I'm like, hey, just let y'all know I, I stutter. Just stick with me. We'll get through this. I promise. Okay? But secondly, I tell them this. Uh, I, I say, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Aaron, okay, Aaron and Ashley right there. I'm just going to use them as an example here. Aaron, you're going to sin against Ashley. And everyone laughs in the crowd. 
Because they're all like, yep, you will. And then it's like, Ashley, you will sin against Aaron. And everyone laughs, like, yeah, you will. And what I'll say is this. What sin always does is separate. From the very beginning, Genesis 1, 2, 3, what you see, sin separates. If you don't put Jesus at the center of your relationship, when there is sin, because sin will happen, you will use the sin as, as a weapon against your wife if you don't put it on Jesus, the one who died for sin. Amen. Get that. You will take what they did and you'll use it to punish them, abuse them, and use it as a contract and say, you did this, and you'll use it against them and punish them, and, and you'll just use it to batter them. But if you've got Jesus at, at the center, sin is dealt with, because the sin doesn't go on the other person. The sin goes on Jesus. And guess what? Jesus died for, for sin. Your spouse didn't. Jesus died for sin. Your spouse didn't. So quit trying to take the sin that they did and throw it back on them and use it as a, a, a tool to beat them up. Put the sin where it can be handled, and that is on Jesus. Amen. Here's the deal, guys. Maybe marriage was not just about us being happy. Marriage is so much more than about having, than about having individual needs met. Marriage is ultimately, and this is going to blow some of, uh, of you guys' minds, marriage is ultimately a loud and proud bull, bullhorn display of saying, this is who God is, and this is what God is ultimately like. Let me show you this. Ephesians chapter 5. Mike, you can go ahead and come up. Oh, it's 11, 12. God, God help us. It's 11, 12. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25. It says this. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. Some of y'all are like, hold up! That's the mid thing. I ain't about that. Just calm down. We'll get to it, okay? For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A couple quick a couple quick points here. Number one, ladies, undo your preconceived notions about the word submit. Because let me tell you what that is. That is not like like some sort of, of dog call. Or like, go sit there, go sit there, cook this, cook that, give me this, give me that. That is like the worst interpretation of that word ever. And I am sorry if you were in a church that taught that. Because that's a load of garbage. Let me, let me tell you what that word means, actually. It, it is a trust. Make sure I say this right so I don't mess it up. So it's probably better if I just read it. <laughs> it. It means to show a trust in the love, protection, and leadership that your husband shows and lives by. Men, here's the bottom line truth. You are responsible. Men, you are responsible. And I, and I know inside you want to kick back and you want to fight and you want to you know, get that, that lawyer going inside. You don't know what she's done to me. You don't know how she treats me. You don't know how she talks to me. She disrespects me. She does this and everything. Here's the bottom line. In Genesis 3, we see whenever Eve sinned, Adam was held responsible. Why? Because he's the head. As, as, as we see here, he is the head. And headship does not mean that you are just some sort of like person, some domineering personality barking out orders. Headship simply means this. You are responsible. And men, you are responsible for your home. And we have a tendency, men, to put away responsibility for as long as we can. 
Let's just call it, man. We, we live in a culture of 20-somethings and 30-somethings that literally want to put responsibility away for as long as they possibly can. Don't want wives, don't want kids, but want all the benefits. And we see the fallout of that. Fatherless kids. Cohabitation. It's, it's, it's like we see it. Marriage, though, was supposed to be this whole thing. As men lead their families so well, just as it says in verse 25 here, it says, men, lay, basically lay your lives down just as Christ did. So if you know what Christ did, Christ died. When it says he gave himself up, that means he died. So basically meaning this, men, as you, as your wife sees that you put her first, that the, as you serve her, and as you literally die to yourself and put her first, what that does is that puts her saying, how would I not want to submit to this guy? How could I not want to follow his leadership? How could I not want to, want to, want to follow this hot stud? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you know, but, but here's the thing. Men, you got to earn your wife's trust. You know how hard it can be for, for a, a woman to earn her husband's trust? Especially after all the broken relationships that many women go through nowadays. Men, it can be hard to earn your wife's trust. you got to do the hard work. My wife... Um, she's been in a few car accidents, and so I learned very, very quickly that I needed to earn her trust driving. And that means like 80 car lengths behind the car in front of me. <laughs> Even when I got 80 car lengths, uh, she's like hanging onto the side like this, and she's like, you know, acting like we're, we're, we're about to get a 20 car pileup. And me, I'm like angered because I'm like, I'm a good driver! There's 50 car lengths in front of me, I'm fine! No, but she's like, it's not that I don't trust you, I don't trust them. You know, and it's like, she, but she has this genuine, authentic fear of being in a car accident. So I had to, uh, years, 10 years <laughs> of realizing she's not attacking me. It's just she's, she's got to earn trust. That's a small thing, right? But there's a lot of hundreds of other trust issues that men and women have. And I don't know what yours are. But I would encourage you men to earn your wife's trust. And I say this as someone that is in the, that is in the process of doing that. And that by God's grace, and I'm somewhat getting better, barely, every day. But here's the bottom line. Whenever men, you lead in a self-sacrificial way, and ladies, you submit to the headship, and you trust the love and protection of your husband, what you end up doing is you shout to the world, this is what God is like. This is what a relationship with Jesus Christ is. Because here's the thing, Jesus gave himself up for us. And what do we then willingly do? In light of how Jesus has lived, died, sacrificed himself for us, we're like, Jesus, we'll willingly submit to you and go with you and do whatever you tell us to do in light of your love for us. So marriage is simply a microcosm, a way of shouting to the world, this is what a relationship with God looks like. It's more than about your personal satisfaction. It's more than just about you. It's more than just about you having your sexual needs met. It's more than just about having your, your, your emotional needs met. It's so much more about saying, as you are in a covenant relationship with your husband or wife, it shouts to the world, this is what God is and this is who God's like. Let's all stand. I'm, I'm, I don't know where you're at today. We're going to go right now into a challenge, I guess you would call it. I'm not sure where you're at, what you need. Um, maybe you are here today and, and uh, you are at that point where uh, you're putting that whole dad bod thing up and you know your marriage is not good you know it's struggling you know if, if you were to stand before God and he was to ask you, you 
um, he would be able to see beyond the facade that you put up into your heart and, in, and really into what is going on. And once again, I want to let you know you're safe here. If you need help, I want to challenge, challenge you. Seek help. Get help. Seek, seek myself. If, if you're in a small group, we have some incredible people at the church that have a passion to help you in your marriage relationship. So if you are struggling, do not just don't throw on the dad bod thing, man. Get vulnerable and get help and get healing right now. Maybe you are here today, and this covenant relationship with Jesus Christ is something you've never walked into. It's, it's nothing you've consciously said, I want to take a step and follow Jesus for the first time. We want to give you that opportunity really, really quick. But what we're going to do, I'm going to pray. After I pray, if you, if you would then simply repeat after you. Actually, we're going to have everybody repeat repeat after me, but if, but if you're saying this prayer today for, for, for the first time, you absolutely mean it with all of your heart. I believe this, that you start a brand new chapter today in your life, that you are crossing from death to life, and you are coming into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. It isn't built on what you've done, but it's built on what Jesus did on the cross in your place and for your sin, because he absolutely loves you. We're going to pray, if you would, simply repeat after me. Everyone say this, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sin. I receive today your forgiveness and your love. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sins. Today, I come into a covenant relationship with you, built not on what I've done, but what you've done. Jesus, thank you. Amen. Lifehouse fam, can we do this? Please give it up for all those who said that for the first time.